What do we get wrong about setting and achieving our goals? So how important is it to kind of step away and get into a space where you can think about the bigger picture? Tell me about the importance of journaling. I want to ask you, because there might be people listening here who say, what do you mean willpower doesn't work? So I will ask you, why doesn't willpower work? Benjamin Hardy. Let's go. We doing it? We're on. Okay. Well, welcome to Sauna Sessions. We're already sweating. This is awesome, man. <laughs> <laughs> this is pretty cool. I'm happy to be with you, man. Yeah, me too. Me too. I'm so happy you, you're you here. You look great. You, you Obviously, you train. You stay in shape. I love with that. With six kids, man. That, you know, oh, yeah, that's, that's incredible. And I, I love that because it, it shows that you're not just teaching stuff that you don't live. You actually live the stuff you teach. And that's, that's Working beautiful. Working on that. Yeah. Well, that's it. That's it. I don't think we sh- we ever have it figured out. I think we're all works in progress, and uh, you you know you're doing it. I love your attitude. I love your spirit. I've been inspired by you many of your books in the past, and like I said, I've shared them with so many people. The willpower doesn't work. I I think I first heard about your work in a a mastermind. I think it was Tom Billiou. He was talking about it, and some other people were talking. About it. I was like, who is this? So I looked you up and. Amazing, amazing work. I'm so just just freaking honored for you to be here. What are you excited about these days? Uh, a few things. Uh, definitely, I'm super excited about, I'm big on uh, my family, yeah. obviously. Six kids, teenagers, mm. three teenagers almost pretty much now. So that's like, that's crazy. Wow. Crazy self-development. When crazy. did you have your first kid? What age? Well, we adopted our first oh. three from the foster system. Okay. So yeah, I was in the first year of my PhD program. This was in 2015, and we became foster parents of of three kids and spent three years battling the foster system mm. to adopt them. And eventually we did adopt them, and my wife then got pregnant with twins literally a month later. So that was 2018. That was the year Willpower Doesn't Work came out. Wow. So we adopted our kids and had twins and launched that book and moved to Florida. So that was a that was a big year. And uh, yeah, they're always inviting me to be better, mm. less emotionally reactive. Me and my wife are really learning that we have to, we've got to be better on that one. So that's like ultimate growth. I'm, I'm writing a, a new book right now called How to Stretch Time. So that one's, okay. that one I'm deep in, like that one's a, a fun flow and yeah. um, just having fun. I mean, honestly, I, I think uh, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying just enjoying, mm. honestly, mm. truly. Amazing. How many books have you written so far? Eight. Eight books. Okay. Wow. Are you going to stop at 10 or are you just going to keep going? No. Not gonna stop. It's fun. It, it, I do it for me. Um, mm. Like right now, I am broken, man. Trying to write this book. Like I mean, I tried to write yesterday, and I I got some good stuff. But I mean, it every time I really try to do that, it is such hard work. It's such deep work, and so I I love it. Like I feel like it's a huge investment in myself and other people. So I'm not gonna stop. Mm. How do we stretch time? You got me curious. Can you kind of break down the summary? Of the- <laughs> so uh, that's a really good one. So it's I mean I don't want to get too into it yeah, right yeah. now because I'm like not very refined on on the thinking but on one level well, what does it mean to stretch time I guess start there so so time there's like a lot of different ways of looking at it. you could look at a physics perspective from the psychology perspective even from the spiritual perspective from my view it's really about progress it's about internal and external progress in a given chunk of time so like say a day goes by you know you could make no internal and external progress. Uh, a lot of it, maybe you're just on autopilot, or you could literally have an experience that changes your life. And it could be as simple as just connecting with another person, or you could have courage and really try something and open some new door, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so 
Yeah, it's really about, I mean, from a physics standpoint, time is really based on how fast an object is moving through space. Have yeah. you ever seen Interstellar? Yeah, yeah. So you know how like they jump on the planet yeah. and it's going really fast yeah. and like their time is slow time compared dilation. to Earth. Exactly. Yeah. So time dilation is really what stretching time is all about. Mm. So that has to do with physical movement. So it's like if you're making progress, you know, towards goals, your time is going to be slower than other people. Mm. But there's also psychological time dilation, you know, like near-death experiences or stuff like that. And so that's that's more about just having deep experiences, like deep transformative experiences. Mm. So that's really what stretching time is. Wow. Uh, that's amazing. Okay. Okay. I love that. I love that. So Benjamin, a lot of your work is focused, I think, around just human optimization, you know, stretching time or, you know, how to architect your environment in a way that you can become the best version of yourself, how to achieve goals. I want to start with goals. What are most people doing wrong? What do we get wrong about setting and achieving our goals? I think that the first one, and this kind of fits with the 10x is easier than 2x book, is is that most goals are way too small. Hmm. Uh, so there's the goals are too small and there's too many of them. Like So if you have a lot of goals, obviously you're not going to be very focused. You don't have a very clear future self hmm. and you're focused on quantity, not quality. So too many goals, and literally that could even be like for this week, you have too many goals. Hmm. So you're focused on quantity, you're uh, focused on like breadth, not depth. Mm. And so that's a number one challenge is like too many goals, but also not high enough. So when you set really, really, really high goals, actually, like this is what I've been geeking out on lately is impossible goals. And I've been talking, and I'll, I'll be interested in your take on this, but I've been talking a lot to a guy named Dr. Alan Bernard. He's a good friend of mine. He studies decision making and he's been studying impossible goals for mm. 20 years. But basically, if your goals aren't impossible, if you don't think that they're impossible, then what that means is, is that you're operating from your past. If it's impossible, then you don't know how to do it. But if you think it's possible, then you know how to do it or you think you do. So you're using your former experience to guide you. And so you really want, obviously, intrinsically motivated goal. You want it to be based on what you want, not on what other people think. You want it to be seemingly impossible because once it's seemingly impossible, really, really high, then, um, you know, using Dr. Bernard's question, you say impossible unless what? It's impossible unless. But there are a few things. So with big, big, big goals, like ridiculous. I'm mm. saying, what's your impossible goal before the end of the year, mm. right? You take whatever goal you have and make it impossible. Mm. Very few things will get you to something that high. Like very few. There's very few strategies or relationships that will get you to that ridiculous of goal. And so that's why it's useful is because those are the few things that matter. Mm. And that's really what like effectiveness is, is doing the few things with really big upside, not the many things, the 80-20, right? Not mm. the 80% of things that don't move you forward. So big, big goals get you into the 20. Very few goals get you into quality. Very few. Hmm. Impossible goals. Wow. Yeah, that's what you got to go for, man. If you're not going for impossible, you're operating from the past. Do you have an impossible goal right now? Yeah. My team and I have a few impossible goals working on, like literally we've got impossible goals for the end of this year, right? So I've got a pretty fresh YouTube channel. So like 87,000 subscribers. So like our impossible goal before the end of the year would be like way over 500,000. Mm. But like, it's a serious commitment. Like mm. it's a, it's a true, and like, we just decided to do it. Like we're just mm. like, yeah, like actually we can blow past it if we make it a focus and we figure it out. And if you say impossible and less, right? Mm. I mean, it's, of course that's not impossible, but from our perspective, from our situation, given my past growth like mm. that'd be ridiculous mm. i'll give you an example of a friend of mine okay so he's a guy named greg 56 years old 56 and he's been in a business for five years mm. they basically create a care facilities for people with dementia mm. in columbus ohio so he's been doing this for five years and he has one big property it's got like 90 beds 90 beds 100 employees 
So he read the 10X book, and this was like four months ago. Mm. And so he had his goal. He had a 10-year goal Mm. by age 66 to have three of these properties. So he had one, wanted three, Mm. and then wanted to sell it at age 65. So basically his 10-year goal was to get two more properties. Mm. So basically in the next 10 years, he wants to get two more properties, have three, and sell it. So he read that book and realized, what the crap am I doing? He's like, I'm almost, he's like, I'm going to be 65 years old. So rather than three properties in 10 years, he's like, I'm going to have 10 properties in the next three. And literally when he decided that, like this goes to the idea of if you change the goal, you change the path. Mm. So he was very dogmatic in his approach. He was like, I need to do it this way. I need Mm. to develop properties. But once he changed the goal and he's like, if I'm going to have 10 in the next three years, I've got to do it a different way. Mm. And so he and his wife were talking and his wife's like, there's all sorts of properties and incredible things around here if you just like look for it. And wow. so he literally called his friend who's into real estate. His friend said, you won't believe this. There's two properties available right now, right in Columbus. So 45 days later, he had two more buildings. Wow. So he achieved his 10-year goal in literally two months. Wow. But then I met him because I'd never met him. Mm. And he told me this. He's like, Ben, you'll never believe this. Mm. He's like, I literally have these new buildings. He's like, we just did it in the last few months. We went from 100 to 300 employees. We've mm. staffed them up like... He's like, all because I changed the goal, changed the timeline. Mm. And so I said, all right, well, Greg, Mm. this was literally like a month ago. I said, what's your impossible goal for the rest of the year? Mm. He's like, freak, I don't know. So he sat, he pondered it. He went, he thought about it. He wrote it down. He said, I'm going to get three more properties before the end of the year. Like these are big properties. And remember, his goal was getting two more in the next 10 years. And so he he did that. Like literally last week, he wrote them down, shared it with his wife. And then he got a call from his partner that there are three buildings available. Huh. And so he's literally put an offer on them and he's probably going to end up with seven buildings before the end of this year. <laughs> and like, again, his goal three or four months ago was simply to have three by the end of 10 years. Wow. But now he's going to have seven before the end of this year, just because wow. he's actually opening his mind up to that. He changed his framework. Wow. Yeah. It reminds me of, I think it was Diamandis who he talked to, well, maybe no, it was it was the zero to one guy. Oh, maybe Peter Thiel. Maybe that was Peter Thiel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm mixing up the Peters. It, it, one of them said about the the pushing the ten year goal oh, into six one months. Year. Six months. Yeah. yeah. How yeah, do you achieve yeah. your ten year goal in the next yeah. six months? Yeah. That's another way to make things impossible. Mm. It really forces you into really unique strategies, pathways, or relationships because you're like, there's no way we can achieve that unless what? Well, unless X, Y, and Z happen in like necessity is the mother of invention. So it leads you to the few things with the highest upside. Mm, that's so amazing. That's so amazing. So you mentioned your friend, because my next question was going to be, how does somebody formulate the goals? So you think taking that time to sit down oh, yeah. and contemplate. It might be a different goal entirely. Well, and just just have that, because qu- we live in such a world of distraction and we're always you know, working towards the next thing, the next deadline, and it's in front of us. So how important is it to kind of step away and get into a space where you can think about the bigger picture. I think it's huge. Like I think if uh, if you're not doing it at least weekly for mm. 30 to 60 minutes, if you're not doing it at least weekly for 30 or 60 minutes, uh, then you are more on autopilot than mm. you think. Like from my standpoint, every day at the end of the day, even just giving yourself five minutes to review the day, mm. like that's actually a way of stretching time, mm. is saying, how am I different from who I was yesterday? And just looking for actually looking for it. Like if you look for the ways in which like you've made progress towards your goal, because whatever you focus on, you create more of whatever you focus on expands. And so that's also true of your past. Like you want to stretch your past even in the last 24 hours by saying, how am I different than I was yesterday? That's actually a big part of integration as well as actually acknowledging, you know what I, most of my plans went to crap, but like, here's what I actually learned. And here's how I, I actually do know more than I did at the end of the day yesterday. And then you write it down and boom, then your brain like processes that while you're asleep. Mm. And so I think just, and then you can think about 
tomorrow, but yeah, on a weekly basis, I think you definitely want to take 30 Checking. to 60 minutes. And if you can, on regular intervals, like for me, I was just on a plane flying here to LA to yeah. come hang out with you. And I had four or five hours just to like, just chill with some quiet music and like think things through. And I did make some changes. And when you change the direction of the airplane, mm. changes everything. Man. Mm. Wow. Love that. Course correction. Yeah. It's so easy to get caught up in you know, what you think you should be doing or what people think you should be doing. I, I call it the difference between a good idea and a God idea, you know, and they say the devil's greatest tool is to give you a good idea <sighs> so that you can only focus on that, but you miss what you were here for. I think a lot of great ideas and people have come from being in solitude, uh, whether oh. it's even going to prison. A lot of people are just having that time. It's the best thing for them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It seems like that. Like, you know, Malcolm X or, you know, all these. Like, it's it's so fascinating. But we don't get a chance to pause in our life. But I, I say respect the pause and really surrender into it and recalibrate. You care you, if I ask you one on that, God? Yeah, yeah. I want to just know, because I think this is such a big one, choosing your own goals, but also having inspiration and, like, living a true purpose, mm. which you choose, but also it's a higher purpose as well. Mm. What are some other ways that you connect with that God goal? Mm. The God goal. The God goal, yeah. So you got like whatever whatever you said before, the God purpose of the, you Yeah, know. yeah. Well, I think it's interesting. I think, I think number one, you have to realize that you're exactly where you need to be at all times. You're exactly where you're supposed to be right here, right now. Anything else is just an idea that's going to create more anxiety. So when we accept where we are right now, when we surrender to it, we can also say, okay, now I want to be in a another place. You know, I want to elevate from this place. But I think accepting where you are is is a big crucial part in that God idea. You know, one thing I use is is death. I mean, you you know this better than anybody. You know, talk about stoicism and memento mori. Remember that you will die. I think I think keeping death on your shoulder, on your left shoulder, as kind of a guide. I call death the ultimate life hack. You know, because when you really go into the impermanence of existence, you find out, hey, I'm actually kind of wasting my time here. I'm, I'm not doing what I'm, what I feel like I should be doing. And that recognition is perfect. You're actually where you are. You're doing what you should be doing. But when you can recognize that, that's when things change. I think there's a level of humility, surrender. And, you know, is, is what you're doing out of love, too. You know, I, so many people that I know that haven't done the inner work, but are vastly uh, successful on the external, you know, whether it's, you know, the, the mansions, the cars, the money, that, all of this stuff. You sit with them and you recognize that what drives them is actually, it comes from a childhood trauma where they were trying to make mommy or daddy proud, you know, where they were just, they were trying to get love from them. And so they can never actually achieve that, that love by achievements by more accolades, by more awards or more money in the bank account. So I think recognizing that what we're all here to do is to love, is to be love. And then we're in our creative zone, I think, you know, when we can surrender to that. Then we're then we're in our genius zone. We're more creative, we're more open, we're more in flow. And I know you talk a lot about flow as well. Talk about that. What is the tell me about flow, how to get into flow from your research. How can how can we find flow more regularly? So I used to think that, so back when I was a blogger, for example, like I was a, uh, you know, I was blogging like crazy when I was in my PhD program trying to become a professional author and I did really well and I got 
deep into, I mean, I didn't go deep into flow, but I was good at clicking into flow. But those flows were like for an hour or two when I was writing an article, right? So you can do things to get yourself into a quick flow state. So for example, like I would take some caffeine and do a massive workout and listen to great books. And and then I'd go and write articles, you know? And like, Mm. I think having a singular goal obviously is really good, like a single goal at the moment. So obviously my goal right now is just seriously just to answer your one question Mm. on this topic. Mm. Like, you know, I'm not trying to overly think about, yeah, like I'm literally just focused on one goal at a time, which in this case is answering your question. So like when you sit into a flow, have one goal, have an objective, get to it. And so that's how I used to approach it. And I still think that that's really great, but that is still kind of incremental thinking. It's, it's still shallow, not deep. And so how I've thought about flow a lot lately is it's more about design, like designing, first off, much bigger goals that require a lot deeper work. So it's, it's kind of the comparative of going from writing blog posts to writing a book. Mm. Like that book requires so much deeper figuring out and stuff like that. And you can't just jump in for 30 quick you know, six minutes. I mean, you can, but you, you know, sometimes you need bigger chunks of time. So Paul Graham, he's basically an entrepreneurial guy. He talks about a maker schedule versus a manager schedule. <laughs> manager schedule is where your your time is thinly sliced. You got mm. like meetings every day. You got meetings, you know, like your time is all cut up. Mm. Uh, you're shifting topics, shifting activities every like five or six times a day. That's very shallow. You want bigger, deeper chunks of time, like literally like many days a week where there's nothing on the schedule, where you're just solving like I might be just trying to solve one chapter and like really thinking through. So I'm going deep, not shallow. Hmm. One of my favorite books on the topic is called Catching the Big Fish. Mm. Have you heard of that one? Mm-mm. It's all about meditation, consciousness, and creativity. And mm. it's basically like most people's consciousness is up at the surface. So it's all they can see is the little fish, little ideas. Wow. But to go deep, wow. you need bigger blocks of time. And so I look at flow now a lot deeper where it's like, I look at my schedule for the week and the month and I'm like, okay, I'm trying to do one or two things all week. Mm. And these are deep, deep things. Mm. But like, if I can figure something out here, it's going to have a big impact rather than doing 10 blog posts. It's like, no, if I can figure this out, it's going to be worth 50 times those. So it's about design now. Mm. It's about designing for for really, really deep work Mm. and deep connection. Mm. And so that's kind of how I view flow now is it's a lot lot bigger and deeper. Mm. And it's a lot based on quality, not quantity. Mm. Awesome. Awesome. You made a video, or I don't know if when you made it, but you released one recently about the most exciting breakthrough, I think, in psychology. Get into that. What is the most exciting breakthrough in, in psychology? So this is like the last 25 years, but it's getting deeper and deeper. And so if you go back like from the late 1900s all the way to the late 1800s, like you got Freud and all these people, and they're all talking about the past. And so the whole view was, is that if you want to understand who a person is in the present, mm. is all you got to do is go back and look at the past. Mm. So if I really want to know about you, mm. so all I got to do is ask you about your past. Mm. Tell me all about it. Tell me about your trauma. Tell me about your life. Tell me about... And that was the view. And actually, Frankel had a different perspective, mm. obviously, in Man's Search for Meaning. He, he disagreed with that. He felt like it was a person's future that actually shaped their psychology in the present. Wow. It was their having meanings to fulfill or purposes, or he used the word goals to fulfill. And so he said, you know, in those difficult concentration camp events, if a person didn't have a goal or a meaning to fulfill, Mm -hmm. the present lost meaning. Mm -hmm. And so that's actually one of the crucial insights is is that the present, literally this present moment, even though it's deep, it's important, it still has less meaning, Mm -hmm. even potentially no meaning Mm -hmm. if it's not disconnected, if it's disconnected from the future. And so where, where the research has gone is really all along the lines of future self and about the view you have of your future and the future that your brain most predict is going to happen. Mm. So our brains are always predicting and expecting what's going to happen, even like in this conversation, right? And they call it the default future, that our brain has a default future that it most expects, and that's the thing that's driving us. Oh. And so 
getting clear on what's the future that I'm most committed to, the mm. future that I most expect, the future mm. that is driving everything I do. Because mm. people go to work. People go to work because they need to pay the bills or something like that. They've got goals, you know, like, and so they might not even be aware of those goals or where those goals came from, mm. but their behavior is being driven by the future. And so getting really clear and imaginative about that future. Albert Einstein said imagination is more important than knowledge. Mm. All the research is now getting to the idea of connect with your future self, imagine your future self, choose your future self, and then emotionally get connected to your future mm. self so that you can start making much better decisions in the present. And so the future is what is fully driving a person, whether for good or for bad. Mm. Obviously, it's impacted by their views of the past. Mm. It's just funny because I, I don't know where I, when I started doing this, but I... For me, I know that the brain is largely driven by the sight, right? I think the visual cortex takes True. up a big part of it. So, so I try to put signs around design you know, the situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one sign transformational triggers. Yeah, exactly. One sign is um, what will my future most developed self do right now? It's beautiful. That's using the future to drive your present intentionally. Yeah, it's so powerful. Because, you know, I think so many people have said this, but I, I truly think that this, if you can get this, you can, you can really make a big change. And that is the quality of your life is based on the quality of your questions, you know, and asking these, these questions, these power questions, like what will my future most developed self do right now? It's beautiful. Yeah. And inevitably <laughs> you will become that because your future is based on the actions in the now. For sure. And it's just a good, it's just a good reminder. I say put it everywhere. Everywhere you can. What would your future most developed self do right now? How you feeling? Dude, <laughs> I love that. I mean, it's so true. Mm. That's, I mean, that's, that's really what the research shows on it is not only thinking about it. Mm. Most people don't think about their future self. What they do is, is they take the present and they mm. push it onto the future. Mm. So they say the future, like they say, here's who I am. It's kind of a fixed mindset from Carol Dweck's work, yep. but it's like, here's yep. the, here's my present self. And then they push it onto the future because they don't imagine it. And then they don't get emotionally connected to it like you are and deciding, having a cool frame on it. My most developed mm. future self, who, how would that person choose to live today? Mm. And so that's where you start getting emotionally connected to it. Start putting yourself in their shoes. That's it. So most people, they take the present and drive it into the future. But what you're doing is taking the future and driving it into the present. Yeah. And that's when you start making big moves. Yeah. That's when your present looks very different from your past because mm. the future is fundamentally different. Mm. And it's imagined. Mm. It's chosen. Mm -mm. It's chosen. Wow. Wow, that, what's the Viktor Frankl quote about choice, right? Uh, In between two... stimulus and response, there's a space. No, that's the freedom one. Oh, man. I, I, I'm, my brain's fried right now because I'm in this dang sauna. But he's he's like, first he talks about the why. There's a good quote about the why. He, he when the why is strong, strong enough, enough why yeah, can overcome he can, any how. Yeah, he can overcome any how. But also when, you have the, when the why is strong enough, you will find the how. That's those few things. Impossible how. unless. That's, that's those few things. That or relationships. The few things that can pop you up there pretty quick. Wow. See, that, that has to do with faith, too. Huge. You know? Huge. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, faith in a lot of ways, obviously, you can have faith in a higher power, and that obviously amplifies everything, mm. and it can make the impossible possible. But it's also essentially getting committed and courageous towards what you believe to be a worthwhile goal. Mm. Mm. I mean, when you're operating by faith, you're operating with from the future. You're mm. operating with high expectation, high belief, uh, high trust. Wow. wow. Love that. Trust the process. Well, let's uh, let's hop out. Let's hop out of the sauna. I'm 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 done. You, you're like a freaking Roman gladiator over here. You just you thirty just more minutes. It. Sixty. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, we'll go out, dude. Let's go get some. Uh, let's, let's go get some coconut let's water. Let's get some dude. coconut water and rehydrate. Man. Beautiful. All right. Welcome to part two. Uh, how was the sauna? It was awesome, dude. Thank you for that. <laughs> Thanks for the recovery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's nice. Man. I'm actually wow. Like that was. I don't know what it was about that session. I'm like. How long were we in there, Dustin? Like 
30 minutes, 20 something. I was, felt like I was sweating more than usual, even though I sweat like crazy already. But I feel like I got a good detox in. Nice, man. <laughs> but I want to ask you, man, like, you're so well read, you're so sharp. What got you, like, was there a turning point in your life? Was there a pivot point that kind of catalyzed this research, this inquiry into, like, human optimization? What was that? Yeah. I mean, it's really about human optimization, but also just, like, human change potential, like how much people can truly change and grow and what's possible there. I mean, definitely there were events that sparked my interest. So, you know, when I grew up, my parents got divorced when I was 11, oldest of three boys. The divorce rocked my dad, and he ended up getting into pretty deep addiction. Mm -hmm. And so we had a very chaotic environment during my high school years. I barely graduated high school. It was very chaos. I did a lot of just like detachment, but I did have kind of that North Star, like Mm -hmm. that whole Frankel idea. I had a why to live for. How did you have, you just naturally had had that? I had an amazing grandfather, Rex Hardy, who we named our little son after, and, and just some positive spiritual experiences. So I had a desire to serve a mission for my church. And so like that was kind of that thing that was up there that semi allowed me to navigate the chaos where it's like, okay, like I can get to that. And if I get to that, I'll figure out what's next. Like how I frame it now. Have you ever read the book, The One Thing? Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like, that was the one thing that like, and I kind of think about that like as like a keystone goal. Like keystone is like the uh, centerpiece in an arch that holds it together. And so like, that was just like the one thing I'm like, it's like Frankel, you know, if you don't have a, if you have a why to live for, you can bear any how. And so like, I was going through all sorts of stuff, trauma and stuff, but I had that why to live, which is like that North Star Keystone goal. And I was like, if I get to that, I don't really need to figure out college. I barely graduated high school. I'm like, I don't need to figure out all this stuff. If I can just get to that, I'll figure it out. And it also just gave me a little bit of clarity to avoid various issues and stuff. So like a lot of that Keystone goal got like faded away, you know, but it was still like a little bit there in the mist. And so ultimately barely graduated high school, ended up going for that. And that was a very powerful, deep, immersive experience, just going and like diving deep into spirituality, doing missionary work, doing community service, reading tons of books, self-development, spirituality. And that's, it was on that experience when I started writing in my journal, just dumping it and just learning how to write stream of consciousness. And that's when I really, and I was reading a lot of really good books and I was not a reader, Mm. but I was having all sorts of transformational experiences, expanding my mind, reading, filtering it all and like writing and just like and also, you know, a lot of forgiving of my, you know, forgiving my dad and stuff like that, healing my past. So, like, I had a lot of those experiences and watched myself change insane over that period of time. And so that really got me interested in psychology and it got me interested in, you know, seeing how much I could go through and change and heal and stuff. Like, I want to fi- figure out how to provide that for other people. I wanted to write books. I wanted to just, like, and so that kind of led me into psychology and eventually into leadership psychology mm. and stuff mm. like that. Mm. So there's a lot of moments along the way, those peak experiences or those transformational experiences that change what you think you can do and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah, we have a similar story because that's so funny because, yeah, for me, it was first doing the work on myself and then wanting to share it. Me, me having the transformation within and like, oh, man, this is these teachings, these these understandings, these principles are so powerful. How do I find ways to share them? Because I think some people are like, you know, they don't share, they're, they're a little stingy with it. But for me, it's like my, my goal has always been how can I awaken as many people as I can to their truest, highest version of themselves. And I feel like you you have, kind of have the same kind of the same path almost. Yeah, and when you want something like that, which it's very obvious that you do, it's just very obvious how you, like you become a lot more open to doing stuff 
that, you know, back to the impossible goal, you become a lot more willing to do stuff, but also it's not really as much about you. So you don't, you don't get as held back by all of the fears and the friction that mm. people are worried about with their posturing and stuff. You're just like genuinely just trying mm. to figure out the best, mm. you know, best ways to do it That's in it. your own manner. That's you know? it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. The ego, the e- it's not about ego. The ego can definitely, you know, he can, he can jump in. Say, and look, does at, look at along me along the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> look at me. Look at me. I did this. I did that. But I think when you when you kind of have that that pure service mentality, pure service, not service to get something back, but totally pure. And also, have, you have like a framework. Like I always, I tell people uh, if they're arguing with their spouse, there's this cool like hugging meditation that they can do. That where it's like you basically you first you 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 hold the hold your partner's hands your beloved's hands and then you you gaze into their eyes and then you give them a hug and as you're hugging them you picture where you and your beloved will be 300 years from now right you'll be good you'll be done you'll be forgotten you'll be and then you just hold that and then you come back and you look at your beloved and you realize this ephemeral time that we have on planet earth what are we arguing about really let's just love each other as much as we can and so just ha- just understanding that this time, the, the law of impermanence, that we're here for a short time. We don't know when we're going to see our last sunset. Let's enjoy it while we can. And there's no more ego involved then. It's like, we just, we're just here. Let's serve. Uh, Ram Dazi he says, we're just walking each other home. <laughs> Amen. Mm. Yeah, I think having that connection to even the afterlife or like the future beyond or mm. even death, as you said before, it gives you that permission, but also that sort of urgency, but it's also like, it just gets you into that state where you just, you're doing like those high impact things. Mm-hmm. I mean, even just this morning, I, you know, I've been a little, you know, we all go through peaks and valleys. Yep. And yep. so we all have our, our moments of going up and down and I've been semi through a valley and kind of stretched, you know, getting connected to the next peak. And so it's, it, you know, it's been a little slower, but this morning, literally I woke up and like, I know I have, I haven't been like on my A game as much. And I mean, I, I've still been doing great things. And if I compare even like the last few weeks with two weeks of last year, mm. cool stuff's mm. happening, mm. even though it doesn't feel as good. But today I like literally clicked into that. I was just like, I'm going to make today worth 10 or worth a year. And like, I just, it just clicked me right into like doing a few really good things and just being present and you know, and so, yeah, it was fun. I heard you speak to that in reference to burnout. And that's something I think a lot of people experience. But one of your suggestions for burnout was to recognize your wins. Oh, yeah, (laughs) for sure. Get into that a little bit. So, I mean, me and Dan Sullivan wrote a whole book on that, The Gap and the Gain. But yeah, a lot of people, especially high achievers, they're always measuring themselves in the gap, right, against where they should be. And even as a parent, it's very easy for me to, you know, my son's into tennis. And so it's like, it's very easy for me to like be like, hey, you got to get to that next level, Mm. you know, and like... Mm. And that's all cool. It's good to have a future self. It's good to have deliberate practice and stuff. But it's also very easy when you're doing that to feel like you're nowhere right now. Like if you're always measuring yourself against where you think you should be, then you're often devaluing where you are now. And so it doesn't matter how much you've accomplished, you feel like you're nowhere because you're feeling like you should be there. And so, yeah, there's a lot of psychological benefit to continuing to measure yourself backwards, as Dan would say, be in the gain. So appreciate your progress. Like see, and I do this regularly. It's like even what we were talking about in the sauna, which is like, how am I different than I was yesterday? Mm. 
what were the key things that happened maybe that I underappreciated? Like what actually did happen that represented progress towards my future self? Because if you're looking at your past through that lens, you know, how you frame your past largely shapes what you expect for your future. And so if, if I'm seeing progress, if I'm seeing evidences of, you know, amazing growth and learning, then now my past is, is valuable. Like I view it as your past is either an asset or a liability. Like if it's an asset, even if you went through a deep trauma, but now you've gone back and you've learned a lot from it, now that's continuing to pay you into the present and the future. You get an interest on it. So like your, your present and future keep getting bigger and better. Whereas if you frame it as a, you know, as a negative, then it's a liability and it's costing you in the present and the future. And so that's how I look at it. Like, and this is really psychological, but a lot of people, and this goes back to our conversation over there, like Freud and stuff. And even just most people, they tend to think that the past is what's driving the present. Hmm. But like truly from a psychological standpoint, it's actually the present that shapes the past. And like the past is always reshaped in the present. It's the present that determines the past, not the past that determines the present. And so like any time in the moment you get to choose to expand the value, the beauty of that experience, even 24 hours or three years, I could look back at who I was and how I'm different from my past self. Now it's becoming an increasing asset that's amplifying my present and future. Hmm. The power of choice. The power of choice. I, I look at the world and I, I I know that the world is plastic, right? There is no objective reality out there. I, somebody said there's there's one earth with there's billions of worlds. Everybody's in their own, you know, individual world, their own, uh, as Timothy Leary would call it, the reality tunnel. We're all in our own reality tunnels and we can, but we can change it. And that's, I think, the work that, that you're really putting out there. And it's beautiful. Is it gives people hope that they don't have to be a victim of their past. They, they don't have to continue to identify with the traumas of their past, but they can identify with a, a future version of themselves. One thing I heard you talk about was journaling. Tell me about the importance of journaling. It's a massive, what they would call keystone habit. Like if you can, if you can really learn how to do it, I think a lot of people, they have friction on it because they try stop, try, stop. And it, they have a hard time getting into it. You know, they don't know how to start. I have found journaling to be insanely powerful. Definitely like there's things around journaling that are helpful. Being in a quiet place, maybe having headphones on and music or nothing, whatever you choose, giving yourself some space, the set matters, set and setting, mm -hmm. you know, the environment. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, just writing stuff down. I'm always amazed. I mean, even just today, I mean, I journaled for 20 minutes today, okay. 15, 20 minutes. I'm really working back into a keystone habit I used to have, which was output before you input. Uh -huh. This is something I learned from Josh Waitzkin. He wrote a book called The Art of Learning. But like when you wake up, your brain, your subconscious has been doing so much work, mm. right? But if you then immediately just wake up and open up the phone, you're inputting. Mm. And so now you're like losing access to all that. So you want to output before you input. You just literally, like I did this this morning and I was re-reminded because I've done that a lot. Like, so I'll wake up. And I, I'll, you know, I'll super hydrate and stuff and I'll want to go and like get my body moving and exercise. But like literally for like 15, 20 minutes before I go, like output, like don't open the phone, output. And so I just started writing about just being honest. Like I love the quote, all, all progress starts by telling the truth. You know, that's an Alcoholics Anonymous quote. Wow. All progress starts by telling the truth. And so I would just start writing about, even this morning, I just started writing about being really honest with myself. Like the last few weeks, I haven't been that great. You know, even though I've gotten some stuff done and I'm happy about that and I'll be in the gain about it. Like 
just being honest with myself, I haven't been my best self. And so I just started writing about that. And ideas would come and I just let it write. Like it's learning how to access that flow that your brain was doing beautiful work at night. And I, I'm I'm always shocked at what comes. Like, I, and you even can just be deliberate. Like, you know, like thinking about what are the few things I really want to do today or like what is my impossible goal. But just giving yourself that space, I'm always amazed at what comes. And then it leads me to reaching out to certain people. I mean, I literally reached out to various people that would never have come to mind if I would have just jumped straight into my phone. And big things have regularly happened in my life because I've given myself that space. You know, you were talking about space before and and getting the God goals and connection. I definitely get in the right frame, pray before I do it, get into a meditative state and just just write and just kind of be honest with myself and think about what matters. And then it's kind of the mind goes, take it honestly just takes over. And that's when you get into the stream of consciousness. Mm. So yeah, but I... I couldn't say more about journaling. I think it's been the key for most of my learning, my healing, even just decision-making. I sit in there when I'm thinking about ideas and just draw pictures. I mean, it's hideous, you know? And so, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's very helpful for creativity. Do you use a blank journal? Or you oh yeah, have, I'm in lines, yeah? just lined, okay. lined journal. So, I mean, I, yeah, just, I mean, I just have leather-bound journal and just, just lines and I've read, you know, if I'm, sometimes if I'm like going to have a session where I'm like literally going to just like document and write down what's going on, I'll write within the lines, but a lot of times I'm just scribbling, like <laughs> arrow that way, drawing, like wow. just connecting thoughts and ideas or just wow. thinking about who to reach out to. So a lot of it's mm. just a space to think, mm. a space to let go of stuff, a space to get some insight. That's incredible. I want to I want to get into the the morning because you mentioned when people wake up, they, they're straight, you know. They start uh, inputting. They start inputting. It's interesting because one thing I, I started doing for creativity, this is something that pff, I want to say Edison used to do. You may know this. You do. Very I don't know. Well read. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> he used to sit in his chair as he would doze off in his chair, you know, whether nap or sleep. He would, he would have these metal balls in his hand. And as he would doze off, the balls would fall on the ground <laughs> and wake him up. And he, when he's in that space between dreaming and waking, he's most creative. Right. So I did this. I didn't do it while I was sitting down. I did it when I first woke up in the morning and I was still in like kind of a hazy like space. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to wake up fully, but I'm still going to stay in this space. And I just got a journal and it was the most hideous handwriting ever. But the ideas that came, incredible, incredible. When I'm, when you're in this space, like the creative side of the brain must be more active. So I, that was that was a curious thing that I wanted to to share with you. It reminds me of some like research that Dr. Huberman's talked a lot about, and I've even looked this up. Where the reason Edison—I've never heard this story—but I think that obviously Edison was doing this experiment because he wanted to, like, he was expecting to get good ideas. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. so, like, he was doing it not because he was expecting nothing to happen, and so he was using it as a tool. And one of the things that you know a lot of that research shows is is that your anticipation for what's going to happen the next day is actually a better indicator of like how you'll do than even how much you sleep. So like going to bed, you know, it's like that quote from medicine, never go to bed without a request yeah, your subconscious. Totally. <laughs> and so like you could tell he was like, he was using that as a tool, almost as a trigger to get ideas. And so, but he anticipated it, he expected it. And so like, you definitely want to go to bed with positive expectancy for the next day and then wake up and start building evidence on that. Like, you know, like actually 
watching yourself operate in that. That's part of actually being in flow. Is like if I want to dip into a flow state and like have a really good writing session, I've got to anticipate that. Like I got, you know, you set up the conditions, but then you start acting and you start seeing evidence. Oh, I'm I'm actually writing. I'm in flow. I'm not going to look at my phone. Like I'm actually just doing this. And so you're, and then you just dip deeper into it. And so you definitely want to go to bed with that positive expectation, you know, and then you wake up and you start immediately acting on it. What about visualization? How important is that? Or how useful is that? I mean, it's huge. It's, it's like without vision, people perish, you know? And so I think that fits with Albert Einstein's quote, imagination is more important than knowledge. And so it's like, you want to actually think about and see your future self. And what was the way you put it? My most developed, mm, you know, most developed yeah, so actually see that. What does that look like? And then let that image, because, you know, one of the ways of describing identity is your image that you have of yourself. It's the picture you have of yourself. It's the story, but it's also a standard, you know, and so letting that self image or that picture, but also make that become a standard. And so if you can't see it, you even said visual cortex is what largely shapes the brain. And so if that's what you're seeing, then you're changing your brain. That becomes the new default future that your brain's projecting and predicting. And so, yeah, I think you want to see it, even in little ways. Like when I'm coming home from work, like, can I positively anticipate, can I see myself having really good, just simple, fun connections with my kids, right? I think like uh, Esther Hicks and all them, they call that segment intending. But it's basically just like choosing how you operate in a situation and seeing it and getting better and better at seeing it and then watching it happen in real life. So yeah, I think visualization is huge. It's a huge part of deliberate practice too, of just seeing yourself do the skill at a certain level, having this conversation and it being smooth. You know, like just practicing watching it happen first and then moving through it. Mm. And as Goddard said, the, the secret is in is the feeling or feeling is the secret, right? Like you want to put intense Assume emotion. Assume the feeling of your wish fulfilled. Mm. <laughs> that's, I love Goddard. That's that's Goddard's it. great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Legend. But that's going from thinking to feeling to knowing. Mm. So you want to think about it, see it, visualize it, but then you want to get to that place of feeling, knowing that it's true. Assume the feeling of your wish fulfilled. Get to that place of gratitude, acceptance, non-attachment, peace, and then get to that place of knowing where you start building the the evidence, watching yourself move forward, having the peak experiences where now you have this confidence and expectation that that's just what's going to happen. Mm, that's great. I wanted to ask you because one of the first book that I read from yours of yours was um, Willpower Doesn't Work. And I want to ask you because there might be people listening here who say, what do you mean willpower doesn't work? So I will ask you, why doesn't willpower work? So one thing I want to say, I'll explain from my, my, my views on, on definitely why I think willpower is a horrible approach. I will say I wrote that book six, seven years ago. So I'm, I'm a pretty dang different person mm. than the guy who wrote that book. But I still agree with most of the ideas that my past self back in 2017 was thinking about, <laughs> you know, who, there's a lot of things I disagree with that guy as well. Okay. And, but I love that dude. Yeah. <laughs> but in terms of willpower, uh, some of the main ideas in that book were definitely that context is more powerful than willpower. So like as an example, like, you know, I came from a challenging environment of addiction, right? And I actually wrote that book literally for my younger brother mm -hmm. because I saw that he was struggling to make progress. He had all these great desires, ambitions, but he was still hanging around with his same old high school friends, right? And so it's like, it doesn't matter how much desire or even effort you put in if you're not setting up the conditions, if you're not creating the environment, then it's not going to happen, you know? And so environment typically beats willpower. And so if I'm constantly consuming negative media, but I want to be positive, like, you know, that's kind of a bad idea if I'm scrolling and just observing like nonsense content, like, 
you know, your input shapes your outlook. And so that was really a book about just the power of context and that if you really want to make progress, you really got to start reshaping your situation, your environment, remove the inputs. And if I'm around certain people, you know, if I get myself in certain environments around certain people, it's very easy to operate in that way. And there's a lot of research even on that, on grit and on things like that, where it's like, if, if you want to be gritty, if you, you know, like be around gritty people, that was one. It's just that truly the environment will win. And so you got to, you know, like you got to be smart about that and wise about that. And you got to choose an environment that pulls you towards your future self, not keeps you stuck to your past self. Obviously there's other reasons, you know, if you're trying to overcome an, an addiction through willpower, like you're literally just clinging and holding on. Like you're trying to grit through it when actually the thing you need to do is actually like get help and let go. Hmm. Like, wow. like that's the thing you actually need to do is, is let go of control and actually realize you need help. You need a higher power. You can't do it on your own. You've proven that over and over again. Like you're trying to do it through willpower alone and fight a silent battle is the reason you're, you're like burning yourself down. And so that's like relinquishing control, letting go, realizing you can't do it through mm. willpower. You can't, you know, if you ask anyone about addiction, willpower is not the way. <laughs> and obviously higher power, we've talked about higher power, that's much more powerful, you know, even motivation isn't willpower. So, I mean, there's just so many reasons why willpower is kind of a slow approach to growth. It's such a, it's not willpower that allows me to write books, you know, as I think Darren Hardy would say, why power is a lot more powerful than willpower. You know what I mean? So like willpower is just kind of like a really like, it's very physical, it's very gritty. I mean, it's like there's so much better sources of making things happen, even just letting them go. So the group of friends that your younger brother was around, I think that's something that a lot of people can relate to. What are some ways, that, practical ways, that we can shift our friend group around? I mean, I think it's a continuous process. I ask myself this question. Are the five people that surround me more a reflection of my past self or my future self? Even right now. Like, me being honest, are the people around me more a reflection of my past self or my future self? And maybe two or three of them are still incredible friends. Friends I love, but honestly, they're more a reflection of my prior chapters and not a deep reflection of my future chapters. That doesn't mean they're no longer my friends. It means that I'm being a lot more thoughtful about the influences that are shaping me and also the relationships. Usually relationships are, are honestly toward a shared goal. Like when you're a teenager and stuff, the shared goal might just be just chilling, hanging out, having fun, you know, relaxing. But over time, the goals become a lot more meaningful and purposeful. And so you want to put yourself in relationships that can help both parties future selves and that it's very, it's very like thoughtful and stuff like that. And so I think all progress starts by telling the truth. You know, like I think it becomes an organic process when you really start connecting with your future self. You start moving in that direction because that's where your eyes are focused and it becomes easy. It's not like you have to have hard or weird conversations, although that can happen, but it's just, it's more organic that if okay. your futures are not going in the same direction anymore, some people might be hurt, but I don't think it has to be big or dramatic. Like I, I actually think you can have lots of love and acceptance for the other person. Mm. You can share with them, this is my focus right now. Yeah. Like I'm going to be focusing on this for a while. And so we probably won't be chilling as much, but like that doesn't change, you know. And over time, back to the idea that the present shapes the meaning of the past, you can choose to frame it in a positive way. Like there's no reason to be mad about it. It's yeah. what got you here. It's exactly. not what's going to get you there. Exactly. So like even making quote unquote mistakes, there's no reason to have negative feelings towards your past self. You want to have compassion and empathy towards your past self. And that can be true of other people as well. 
So there's no negative feelings when you're letting those things go. It's actually positive feelings. It's just, you know, like this has been amazing. This, I mean, there's been a... That's it. So I feel the same way. I feel if, it, if the friendship was truly based on compassion for that person and, and love, it's also going to be based on understanding. There's an old saying, love wants that person's best. Possession wants that person. So if a friend is just, they want you, they just want that, that connection with you, but they don't want what's best for you. Are they really a friend? This is the question you got to ask. I think freedom too. <laughs> like if there's cleanness or possession, as you're saying, like it's not a free relationship out of choice. You know what I mean? It's, there's some lower emotional thing that's clinging or holding on, maybe even just nostalgia. 100%. But if it's pure freedom, then like, mm. you know, yeah. you let things go. Which is what it should be based on. <laughs> Dr. Benjamin Hardy, I want to play a quick game. This game I call the five best. It's kind of a rapid fire Type Ooh. of type of situation. Do the best you can. I know there's do the best you can. I know there's no best. And, uh, I'm gonna try my best. But man. whatever, <laughs> whatever <laughs> comes up, just give me that one. So, what was the best advice you ever received? I think it would probably be situational. Mm. Honestly, like I could not figure out what advice was so powerful to my like super past self. Mm. Recent advice, mm -hmm. which was really powerful was I was, me and my wife were thinking about like a financial decision. Mm -hmm. And one of my really good friends, who's very wise, I call him regularly when I'm trying to make decisions. I was kind of unclear on this decision. And he basically said, I would, you know, I would not invest any money, but especially that much money on something I was so unclear on. Mm. You know, and like I was just generally unclear, but I felt pretty good about it. And then it just like made it a no brainer. It's like, oh yeah, I'm not that clear on this. So why would I do that? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that was an important recent decision that I've made in terms of, yeah, big picture. I mean, it's, it's weird for me how everything starts to just like boil together, you know? <laughs> and mm. so it's really hard to, well, that same guy actually gave me another great piece of advice. So last year I was writing 10X is easier than 2X. That mm -hmm. was my third book with Dan Sullivan. And I was very conflicted about the relationship, not about the relationship, but about the, the collaboration. Mm -hmm. Anyways, I was thinking like, you know, if I, if this doesn't change, if the dynamics of this don't change, then I'm not going to write any more books with Dan. Not because I have any hard feelings towards him, but it just doesn't have that. It's not meeting the 10X filter. It's not my future self. It's now my past self. And a lot of people were like, Ben, you can't, you can't go and talk to him about this. You can't, you can't do this. You could end an amazing situation for yourself. And this same friend was like, no, he's like, you gotta like, you know, you gotta, do what you want. You got to be true to what you absolutely want and not be afraid. And and so he's like, you absolutely need to go and have that conversation. And I went and had that conversation and we ended up choosing not to write books anymore with each other. And now I'm learning all sorts of things as a result. And it's awesome. So I'm, so I'm happy. But yeah, like most people in that space were advising me not to do it. They were advising me to take the really conservative route and operate out of fear. And he was like, no, man, you got to like, you got to operate out of faith and like, you know, do what you absolutely most want towards your future self. Mm, love that. Thank you for sharing that. When's the best time in your life? When was the best time in your life? Like season? Period. Could be some people say now. Some people say, you know, when I was in college, some people say. Uh, I mean, even if I look back, and this fits with the present shapes, the meaning of the past, even if I look back on my teenage years, which were heavily chaotic and volatile, 
there is so much juice that still feeds me from that wow. period of time. I mean, that's that definitely not was my best time, but like I have nothing but positive feelings towards that time. I do think right now is is incredible. Yeah, my life is is really awesome. It's challenging. It's tough, but like six kids, we live in a beautiful place in Florida. Like I get to have conversations like this. I'm doing deeply challenging, meaningful work, awesome spiritual work. And so definitely now is awesome. But I mean, there's so many cool chapters. I mean, even my Clemson chapter, I mean, that's when I became a professional author. And like that five years felt like a decade to me and my wife. That's when we, so, I mean, I just love all the chapters. Honestly, all the chapters are awesome. But right now is very abundant, very blessed, challenging as heck. (laughs) It's challenging, man. But like every day is like, every day is worth a year right now, man. Like hanging out with you, like this even flying to California, like I've just lived a year in the last day. And so it's it's really wow. cool. Beautiful. Best quote you ever heard. I mean, I really don't know, but the one that has been has been hitting me a lot lately is all progress starts by telling the truth. That one I've gone really deep on that one lately, man. And it just keeps it keeps going deeper. That's a good one. That's a good one. I think it was Sam Harris. He, I think it was Sam Harris. He wrote a book called Lying. It's a super oh, yeah. small, but you know this book? I haven't read it, but I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. It's great. It's all about telling the truth, even in small things. You know, <laughs> it's really good, really good reminder. I mean, just to live an authentic life, you just feel better. You can go to sleep at night, you know, not to live a, a life that's just disingenuous. Who really wants that? I've heard a key aspect of being able to go on and off, which is a big part of high performance, being able to like really tap into the zone, but also fully recover. Like Michael Jordan was really good at that. Like during timeouts, he would just go sit down, put the towel over his head and he was just out. Okay. And like his heart rate would drop, like literally fast. And he was, and then he could just click right back on. But that fits with sleep too. Like the ability to just, like I've definitely heard that a lot of that has to do with a clear conscience. (laughs) Like just the ability to just- makes sense. Yeah. Just, and then click right back on Mm. and not have to, muddle through so much maze. Yeah, makes total sense. Best investment you ever made? I look at so many different things as investments. I mean, even coming out here and spending time with you, I look at it as, that, as an investment in myself and this experience and whoever is watching. So definitely every time I, I mean, those two two years, giving my those two years to God, mm. that was an investment that constantly keeps paying me back. Mm. And so, yeah, I think every time I uh, create that space, that you were talking about back in the sauna, that's always the best investment. And also a quote that I love is never let a goal to be accomplished to become more important than a person to be loved. Mm. That's and a good one. that one's hit me a lot. And so it's always an investment. Wow. You never let a goal to be accomplished become more important than a person to be loved. And so I think that the massive investments have been in learning and connecting and being with people. I mean, even going from zero to three foster kids, that is an investment in them. 10x more investment in, in us. I mean, I would not have been required out of necessity to learn so many things if it wasn't for those conditions we put upon ourselves. And and they keep being an incredible investment, you know? And so, yeah, creating space for learning, connecting with God, obviously reading a good book, other people. Mm, it's the best ROI. Best book you ever read? It's tough. Maybe I say like in the last week because <laughs> I know you read a lot. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I mean, in the last year or two, last five years. Yeah, I mean, I really don't know. I mean, I do read a lot. Definitely love, you know, some of the classics. I love mm. spiritual books. I love, uh, you know, religious texts, even mm. things like the Bible. Mm. But um, mm. 
Yeah, I mean, that yeah. stuff's always deep. That's, that's it, yeah. <laughs> always deep. I mean, I love digging into that stuff. I love, Covey wrote a book way back in the day called Spiritual Roots of Human Relations. It's kind of like the spiritual version of what ended up becoming Seven Habits. It was earlier on. It was more kind of spiritual and religious in tone. I mean, I read that one. That was powerful. But I mean, recently I read, you know, Beyond Possible. I was just talking to you about that book, Nim's Punja, I think, Beyond Possible. I mean, that was killer. That was inspiring. You mentioned one called Go For No or something like that, right? I was listening to that book and I was terrified to have a certain conversation. And I read that book and it just gave me permission to go, go get a no. Like sometimes I think we make it so much that we want to get the yes, you know, like if I'm going to ask for that raise, right. Or if I'm going to pitch myself to that, you know, go ask that girl on a date or whatever it is, we build it so much up to the yes. But if you just start going for no, then you can take huge swings. Mm. That book is a, an awesome reframe about like actually getting big no's is a win. It shows you're going for it. You know what I mean? Like how many no's did you get last week? Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. If, if you didn't get very many, then you're not, you're not swinging above your current situation. If you're getting all yeses, then you're not, you're not swinging high. Wow. And so that's a cool book for sure. The last question is the magic wand question. And that is if I gave you a magic wand and you could wave it at the world, make a wish. And when you woke up tomorrow, that magic wand wish would be granted. What would your magic wand wish be for the world? These are great questions, dude. This is awesome. <laughs> I have no, I have no idea. I mean, those those big questions do, I think, lead you to the most cliche answers. Mm. I love them. I mean, what I would say is, is um, family. I think family is such a big one. I think that people investing more into their family, whether it's their siblings, whether it's their kids, whether it's their spouses. Just, I really do think that family is a powerful force in our own lives and in society. And I think that if there are good, strong families, a lot of stuff happens, man. And family is where usually a lot of the the growth happens for better and worse. You know, you're challenged by your siblings, you're challenged by your parents, or you're challenged by your kids. And so I, I would say a, a much bigger emphasis for individuals on their family. That's great. That's great. Yeah, strong, strong family, strong community, strong community. Strong city, strong nation, strong country, strong world. The yeah. family is the root. It is, man. <laughs> mm. Benjamin Hardy, wow. Wow. We did it. We did it. You you gave some a lot of gems. Really appreciate your time. Tell me, where can people find out more about your work? When's the book coming out? Stretch time. I think it's not going to come out until uh, next August. Okay. okay so August okay. 2024. Okay. We got, we got a little time. We got some time. <laughs> got to stretch it. Hopefully, but gotten some impossible goals between now and then, man. Mm. Hopefully you've lived 10 years before we get there. That's it. That's it. Well, I'll see you then. You'll have gray hair. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> what's your uh, What's your social media? What's the work? I would just say just benjaminhardy.com. Okay. Okay. You know, definitely have the YouTube channel, but uh, social, uh, just, you know, benjaminhardy.com. If people want to read the books, you'll find them. And subscribe to your YouTube channel because that's the... That's the that's big the domino. Goal that's right the impossible now. goal. The All fun right. impossible goal. That's the work impossible goal. Gotcha. I'm subscribing today. I think I already subscribed actually today. You do good. You make great videos. I love it. I love it. Thanks, man. Thank you for coming on Sauna Sessions. Thanks, brother. Mm-hmm.